wow, I, am, I feel immensely selfish, right? So here I am in the church, the band are working, smashing it, delivering like just overwhelming worship, I think, right? James is busy on the laptop, Karen's busy on the mixing desk. I've nothing to do. I'm just able to worship and it's been such a privilege. I, I have some notes, I have a sermon and I will get to it, but I'm just very much aware that this morning's message is called Meet Us Now Here um, and um, Sam asked me what you're preaching on and the songs that he's just picked are just kind of preaching the message for me and so I'm just, you know, this, you know I'll get to the message and I'll get to why it's called Meet Us Now Here but just think about what we've just been singing. And if you're only watching the sermon, man, you missed something, right? You need the worship as well, right? Because it's like one whole package. Let us become more aware of your presence. It's just a cry that's like, God, you know, if you're everywhere, and we know you're everywhere, can we become more aware that you're actually here in this place? And these words we've just been singing, set a fire. You know, as I was singing those words, I don't know about you, but I'm like, God, there's not enough of a fire in me. It's not, I want more fire, I want more, Lord, I want more passion for you, I want more hunger for you. And there's no place I'd rather be. I was thinking about this, um, you know, obviously, it's easier for me to sing it, I'm like in the church, but I don't mean this room is no place I'd rather be, but that place where we're with God. Next weekend, Karen and I are going away. And yes, we're kind of excited about going away for the weekend. Um, but the reality is, it's not where we're going that matters. It's not the, I don't know, the B&B or wherever it is. We're staying that matters. It's the fact that we get to be with each other. And so, you know, whether you're at home, in here, in the car, Ness, wherever you are, you know, it's just, there's no place I'd rather be than that place where I'm aware of your presence. In the preparation for this message, I, I felt led to go back and look at um, my notes from a Leadership Away Day that we had with the leadership team back at the very beginning of, December, uh, of January 2020. The first weekend of January 2020, there was uh, the leadership team and we were at the King's Church, uh, Tim Ack and Louis Church down the road had given us some place there. Don't forget, this is like January 2020. I mean, we'd heard there's something going on in, in Wuhan, some virus thing, and you know, none of us really had it on our radar of the year that was ahead of us. And... Um, we all thought this was kind of someone else's problem, not really ours. I'm not even sure we even mentioned it really at, the, at our time together. So I look back at the notes of what were we talking about in January 2020, not knowing what laid ahead of us. And I had a little bit of a nostalgic moment. It was quite funny how things look differently now with hindsight. So we spent quite a bit of time deliberating about should little acorns close or not, what should we do about that? In reality, whether we decided to or not, it wasn't going to happen with the, the pandemic and we know that was the right thing to do. We were talking about what, what should come next then if we're not doing it like how do we want to impact our community what comes next and we did some planning and I remember putting down because I saw the bits of paper there are some things in 2020 that are definitely going to happen and some things that we get some choice over. So definitely in 2020 we're going to Sizewell. That was a great prediction. Definitely in 2020 we're going to do the turning mission out on the streets evangelising people. That didn't happen because none, no one was allowed on the streets. There was a load of weddings that were due to happen. That didn't happen. All the things that I thought were going to happen didn't happen or maybe not to the same extent. And there were some things that we'd put down in the optional. You know, it'd be nice to have. It'd be nice to get some more preachers. We see that happen last year and this year. And... Um, also, the idea, we had this little idea back in January 2020 of, of, you know, is it all about the Sunday morning or should we break down into smaller groups in homes? 
And whether we liked it or not, all of us broke down into smaller groups in homes. And so it's just funny, isn't it? God knows what he's doing. Um, but also, we had, um, we had some thoughts that, you know, what is God saying and where is God leading us? And in, the, in our time together, we had some words from God and some things about unity and about, um, I think Michael had this vision of the Avengers Assemble. I don't know much about Avengers, but he said, had this vision of us kind of standing around like a table, just that kind of coming together, that unity part. And I was reminded of a word that was given over me way back when I first started pastoring the church, which was that God had called me to be involved in um, and some words from Jeremiah, which are quite aggressive words, really, but it says in Jeremiah about rooting out and pulling down, destroying and throwing down and then building up and planting. And um, again, I sort of see some, you know, how much has been destroyed in the last 18 months, but has been, new things have been built and God's been doing new things. But there was one particular thing that I was thinking about when I come to this sermon, which was, um, we felt that God was making some shifts in the way the church works. Not shifts in our vision and our calling and who we are, but just some shifts in focus. And one of them was from thinking big to embracing small. We didn't quite know what that meant, but we wanted to explore that. And just so much focus comes on to the Sunday morning, the big gathering. And we're not that big, but you know, when you get 30, 40, 50, 60 people together, you know, that's the big thing. And we felt God saying to stop thinking big and start embracing small. Because there's a weird obsession with size that goes on in society, but certainly in churches. And just, you know, as I think this morning, actually, I'm going to talk a bit about small and small gatherings and God meeting us in the small, quite intimate places. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I'm not against big gatherings. Um, I love those opportunities, like Big Church Day Out, or um, I remember going to the O2 for Hillsong's 10-year anniversary, I think it was, Hillsong London's 10-year anniversary, all those years ago. And there's something about being around thousands of Christians. There's something about being amongst, you know, you go, wow, I'm not alone. There's all these thousands of people praising, new wine, all those things. I'm not, I'm not against them, but they have a deceptive nature, especially for church leaders, that we start to think that big is better. And big's not, big's just different. And so we get this thing where we think big is better. And, uh, and then we're always about how do you get a bigger gathering, rather than how do we get what we sung earlier, more awareness of God's presence because you know the size of the gathering doesn't matter to God it doesn't it matters to us sometimes we're influenced by how many people are in a room how many people we can gather with but it doesn't matter to God I had a friend um, who was leading a church for a while he's not leading our church now but I remember him saying that whenever he used to go to gatherings with other ministers you'd inevitably turn to that conversation of how big is your church and he would say between three and four hundred and people would go, man, this is down in Cornwall. They're like, I don't know, we had a church that big around here. And he said, oh, no, you misunderstand me. He said, it's definitely more than three because there's five of us in our family. And it's definitely less than 400 because we couldn't fit that many in our building. And he just tried to give this vision of like, does it matter whether it's three people or 400? It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the size. I realised that on the, the second week we did live stream, so the first week it was just me and Megan here basically just kind of, queuing up the, the songs and I was preaching. But in the second week we were in the building, I think there was eight of us in the building, the worship team and um, tech and Dave was leading communion. I don't realise how much of a problem went on inside my own mind because this was like a crowd. This is like church with eight people. This is amazing. You know, how many have got three, six, seven? There's seven of us here this morning. It's like, this is church. 
And, you know, pre-pandemic, I'd be like, well, there's only seven people in church this morning. Where's everybody gone? And I would, I would feel down. I would be like, oh, man, there's nobody here. You know, and it's like, wow, just that shattering of the numbers being the issue. This morning's message is about God meeting us now in the way that he used to meet. Not in the tens of thousands, but in the small gatherings. And um, this actually started as a song. I can visualise now where I was on the road, me and Karen were driving to one of the hospital appointments up at Denmark Hill. I can visualise which bit in East Dulwich, I was just driving down the hill into East Dulwich. And on the, the playlist, the Spotify playlist, came a song I hadn't heard before. And the, I looked down at my phone to see the, um, the title of the song that was playing, because I weren't familiar with it, and it said, Now Here. And instantly I thought I knew what this song was going to be about. And then as I turned the radio up, it was nothing to do what I thought it was going to be about. But God dropped in my lap in my mind and in my heart, these words, now here. And the song that was playing, I can't even remember what that was about, but I remember God dropping instantly. I didn't have all the words to a song, but I had the concept that there were these times when God met people, and Lord, could you do that now here? Could you do that now here? And so I want to, uh, the band are going to play this song to you after I've preached, but I want to kind of expand it for you to get this biblical truth that God met people in different places in different times and we start to see that the numbers didn't matter and the cry of my heart and the cry of our heart I want to be is Lord would you meet us now here so the first story some of these may well be very familiar to you the first story is from Acts it's about the day of Pentecost the day of Pentecost when God met people in an upper room let me read to you from Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 this is what it says about the story of the day of Pentecost. There's a lot more to it, but it's just the first four verses I want to highlight to you. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. All it tells us is that the, the, all the believers were meeting together. So we might wonder how many was that? How many people are, are gathered there? Well, it's, it's maximum number, according to the chapter before. It may have been up to 120 people together in one place. Probably less, I would say, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But you know, 120 sounds like a lot of people. I mean, if you're a mega church, it's not. But, you know, 120 people feel pretty good being in a gathering of 120 people. I, um, I was reading that uh, apparently pre-pandemic, again, you know, kind of everything's changed now. But in 2019, they did a, a survey, some research. And apparently, well, let's try it in the room. Okay, right, what was the average attendance? Actually, it's the Church of England, right? So the Church of England's, you know, got you know, churches that are going well. It's not... You know, but that's the place where they gather all the data. How many people do you think is the average number of people in a church service in 2019 in the Church of England? You guys can shout out some numbers. 60? 100? 130. Apparently, in 2019, the average congregational size of your Church of England church was 27. What? 27 people. You know, I'm pleased with seven today, right? You know, it's like... <laughs> 120 sounds like a lot, but it's not 3,000, it's not 10,000, it's still 120 people, but, but nowhere do we see 
this size of number as the factor. It, you know, it doesn't even give us really the details of how many people were there. It just says all the believers. In this story, it's not making a big deal of the numbers. When you look back at the chapter before, in Acts chapter 1, it gives us a bit of a clue of why the Holy Spirit fell. We fixate on the day of Pentecost, but like so many moves of God, something happens before that. And so we read just for a couple of verses in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, it says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance half a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room of the house they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. It's like a roll call, like a register. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. I just counted 15 to 20 people. That is the size of the people that are gathering in a small upper room, praying for God's presence and his power to come. They are waiting, like Jesus said, wait for power. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for this promised Holy Spirit. And their prayers in this upper room are filling this place, praying and crying out to God. They're hungry for more, just like we've said this morning, Lord, I want more of you, God. I mean, that's our song. I'm not sure they were singing that back in the, the day of Pentecost, but this is the same cry of believers. 15, 20 people gathered in prayer saying, Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. Let us become more aware of your presence. May your power come, just like you and me, this small gathering, 15 to 20 people. And in that place, as they are praying, a sound occurs. A sound of wind, a mighty wind, so much so that it blows open the windows and the doors. This mighty wind. And then these fire appear. And look around, it's like, it looks like there's fire on top of your head. I mean, you can't look on your own head, so you can look at everyone else's, right? So hang on, and there's, there's look like fire on top of your head as well. I don't think I've ever seen that. Not in 15 to 20 people, not in 120 people, not in 3,000, not in the O2 full of people praising. I've not seen that. Doors flying open from a mighty wind and tongues of fire falling. This is the story of the birth of the church. You know, these people's lives were never the same. Their lives were transformed. They went out from there, changed people from this encounter. It's like the, they talk about it as the birth of the church. Almost like the Olympic torch that gets carried. It gets lit then and it's carried on throughout the generation. And the question that I ask myself when I read this is, could that happen again? Could a move of God like that happen again? As we cry this morning, Lord, I want more of you, Lord. Could a move of God like that happen again? And if history is anything to go by, the answer would be yes. I'm not great at my church history, but some people are, and I do a little bit of research, and if you want to, it's massively encouraging, go read about some of the great revivals. Go read about the Welsh Revival, the Azusa Street Revival, the Hebridean Revival. You hear these stories of tiny gatherings of people hungry for God that spread out. You read of unqualified servants of God not fit for the task, being filled with God's spirit and so much passion and zeal and so little ability and God equipping them. You know, many were impacted on the day of Pentecost. 
and then it ripples on and on and on. We even feel it today. We, you know, this morning's expression, wherever you were, whatever you experienced, but I know I've experienced the power of God and the presence of God. That is an echo and a ripple that's carried on since that first day of Pentecost. Started by just a few, but the power of the Holy Spirit taking it through the generations and through the globe. You know, even as we were praying for Afghanistan earlier, you know, the persecuted church has some dreadful stories where our hearts go out and we think, man, how would I cope with that? We also get amazing stories of God's provision, his presence and miracles, and God breaking through, breaking into lives of people whose hearts were hardened. You know, this is the power of the Holy Spirit that ripples on. Not about many people, but maybe 120 people is more, or 20 people right now might feel like a crowd bigger than we used to. So let me tell you about a second encounter with God, what I call an unexpected prayer meeting. I don't mean an unexpected prayer meeting. An unexpected one is when you call it when no one knew it was going to happen. An unexpected prayer meeting is when people gather for prayer, but they're not really that expectant of God to move. We read about it in Acts chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible, have a look in Acts chapter 12. This is what we read, 1 to 16, it's a little bit of a longer story. And it starts with the fact that the church is being persecuted. It says in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 16, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostles, James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. That night, before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell... And an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realise it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guards posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city and this opened for them all by itself so they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him finally Peter came to came to his senses it's really true he said the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from the Jewish leaders uh, from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me when he realized this he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, poor Peter... (laughs) continuing to knock on the door when they finally opened the door and saw him they were amazed this is the story of many prayer meetings right 
earnestly praying and then surprised when God does a miracle. It brings me great comfort. It brings me great comfort that, you know, the focus here is that these people were praying earnestly. This earnest word, bless you, is, um, is an important word. It says they were praying earnestly for him. They don't say they were praying with great faith. We know they weren't praying with great faith because when he appears, they hardly believe it. I mean, Peter hardly believes he's been rescued. Uh, and when he does, and they see him, they're amazed. It's like, they're not expecting this to happen. They're praying earnestly. This earnest word, when you look it up, it's uh, if you want to have a little bit of Greek knowledge, ektonos is the Greek word that's used here for earnest. And it's the same word that Jesus is spoken about in Luke 22 when it says he began in agony sorry and being in agony he prayed this is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane being in agony he prayed more earnestly earnestly ectonos and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground what we're describing here is serious serious prayer with passion with energy with zeal but actually not very expectant Sometimes we think, I can't pray for something, I hardly believe it. But it seems to be here that this is about praying earnestly, praying with passion and with zeal and great enthusiasm, bold, audacious prayers of God that he would move in a miraculous way, even when we deep down go, I'm not sure it's going to happen. And this isn't, again, it's not about numbers. There's a few people here. If they get a school report card, it would be A for effort, I'm not sure what they'd get for faith. There's lots of energy and effort going into it, but not a lot of faith. Because you know the funny thing is, it's hard to build up faith, but it's not as hard to actually build up energy. The determination that says, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to get before God and say, Lord, would you bring your presence? Would you move in a miraculous say, Would you set this captive free? And even still saying, God, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. You know, they had... Little faith. They had little faith that these prayers would actually make a difference. They'd break through and release their friend who was in captivity. You know, they're calling on the name of Jesus because they're looking and going, we can't do this, but you can. How many things do we see where people are trapped, people are in captivity, people are heading down the wrong path, people have got trouble ahead of them, and we look helplessly and go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I can do. I feel helpless, but... We're in the same place as these. They're praying for God to set the captive free, waiting for God to move. And while they are praying, while they're praying earnestly with not great expectation, God moves. This miracle, again, not something you hear a lot of, light appearing, an angel appearing, chains falling off his arms, doors opening, walking out of a prison cell, this is not the common testimony we hear. And again, my question is, could it happen again? Could captives be set free? Just through unexpected but earnest prayer. Could the earnest prayers of a few people see a miracle? You know, there's so much to pray about. And we, we've got a, a, if you want to be part of it and you're not on it, let me know and I'll, join, I'll let you join. We, we had a little WhatsApp group um, for prayer. It used to be when we were in, um, in the building, when we used to pray in the building, we had a little WhatsApp group so that we could let people know if it wasn't happening or things like that. And then through the pandemic, we started continuing to use that to support our, our prayer time on a Tuesday. If you want to be part of it, let me know 
I'll let you join it. But it's amazing the things that have been coming up in we need to pray about, we need to pray about. And they've been small, medium and large stuff. There's been little things like, you know, I don't know, something's happening this week, can you pray about it too? You know, I need this breakthrough too. There's a tsunami going on or an earthquake or persecution. And, you know, we've seen so many things. Those of us on the chat are like, wow, there's a lot to pray about. There is a lot to pray about. But don't underestimate when a few people gather in earnest prayer, even with not high expectations, how God can move. This story here of Peter being set free, I don't believe is meant to be unique. And so that's just something we tell a story of once upon a time. So we've got maybe 120, maybe 15 to 20 people in our first story. We've got this small gathering of people praying for Peter in prison as the church is scattered. The third thing that God brought to mind as I'm driving in the car and I see these words now here and I'm like, there's this story of the Pentecost and there was this time they were praying and then God reminded me of this story about a crowd of one, just one person that God spoke to. And it's from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, 1 to 11. If you are a junior church teacher, you will be familiar with this story. It's used so much in Sunday schools around the world. 1 Samuel chapter 3, 1 to 11 tells us this story about the boy Samuel. It says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. I want you to remember that. The stuff I've just been reading to you about is very rare and very uncommon. In Eli's days, the word of the Lord was rare and uncommon. Verse 2 says, One night Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. I think if I woke Karen up in the middle of the night saying, did you call me? I'd get something a little more sterner than I didn't call you. Go back to bed, he said. Verse 6, then the Lord called him out, called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel didn't yet know the Lord because he'd never had a message from the Lord before. Don't lose that bit. This is a boy who'd never experienced God move like this before. He's not experienced, he's not the big man of God, he's not the one who gets all the words from God. He'd never experienced a message from the Lord before. Verse 8. So the Lord called a third time and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realised it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down. And if someone calls again, say, speak Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. The chapter carries on as God unfolds to Samuel, who's never had a word from God. God's shocking plan for the people of Israel. I think this story has been stolen by junior churches and, and Sunday schools for too long. And I get why, because, you know, it's a story about a boy and a child and, you know, God speaking to him, you know, but 
This story is about a story about one person, a boy alone in his bed, inexperienced, not used to hearing the word of God, and this move of God is not common, it's a rare thing, and he is sleeping in the presence of God. He's by the ark, that's where God's presence was made manifest. He is spending time, even if it's just sleeping time, he is spending passive time in God's presence. Not realising that in God's presence, God can speak to him. And when he hears this whisper from heaven, he doesn't even know it's the whisper. He's, so un, he's never experienced this. He's never experienced a move of God like this, so he doesn't even recognise it. And he's like, is this Eli? Is this a voice in my head? Am I imagining it? What's going on here? Why is someone waking me up from my sleep calling my name? You know, it's so easy to miss the whisper of God. So easy. You and I do it all the time. God is whispering and we dismiss it as our imagination, as just a thought that went through our brain, some random you know, thought. We brush it off. We, we categorise it in the wrong way that God, it could be God speaking. No, no, no. It's, for Samuel, it was, oh, it must be Eli. But this boy listens to the older, wiser words of a man of God. And so then he has, as a child, he has this childlike obedience. He's like, okay, and if I said that to you, you'd be like, really? But he does that thing that children do. He's like, okay, if you tell me that's the thing, you're the adult, what do I know? And, you know, we have a question in mind, don't we? We have a, really, is it going to work for that? Does God really do that? Even this morning, as I'm preaching this word, and I'm trying to encourage us to have a passion and a hunger for God to do some miraculous, some breakthrough, some manifest in his presence, your rational mind, not your childlike mind, your rational mind will be like, well, I don't know, does it really work that way? Or am I special enough? Or really? Or I haven't heard enough of it. Our rational brain starts to kick in with excuses. And this boy has childlike obedience. He's not questioning it. He's like, okay, if that's what it takes. So many times we approach the word of God and we then overlay our own thinking instead of saying, okay, God, if that's what you're saying, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And we're like, yeah, but it probably takes more than that, doesn't it? Because no, that's my word. If you humble yourself and pray, I'll move in your land. But this boy doesn't question it. He, he doesn't look for an explanation or a rationalisation. He just does what he says. He just goes back and when he hears God speak, he's like, okay, God, speak. I'm listening. What is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to say? And I don't know if you've heard the voice of God. If you've had a whisper even if you're like Samuel, you go, I've never had that experience before. Even if you look and go, well, I used to, but it's pretty rare now. I don't have a lot of that. You are stepping right into Samuel's story. Do you think God could? Not in the crowd, not in the church, not in the 30, 20, 10, five people. In the one, just you, by yourself, in the presence of God. Could God do that again? Could he go, I don't need the crowd I don't need the numbers, I don't need the goosebumps, I don't, I mean, this morning, my goodness me, Kerry, when you start going off, I'm like, oh my goodness me, the president, you know, it does, but can I be without that? Can I be on my own, on my bed, or kneeling by my bed, or sitting in a chair, just with me and God, and get the same God, your presence? Can I hear you? Can I hear you whisper, God? Can I hear you call my name? You know, can... Could he entrust a significant message to someone so insignificant? The Oak Community Church, small little church in, in the craze, not the mega church, not the big name, just a 
Now Samuel is just a boy. In many people's eyes, insignificant, but God has a significant plan for him. You know, if you're wondering, could God speak to me like that? Could he actually do that? Of course he can. He does it again and again and again. This is the story of people who go, I've heard God speak. They will tell you there was a day when they never, they didn't know what God's voice sounded like. You know, if God, who can whisper into creation and create planets and stars, he can whisper into your heart. He can whisper to you. He can speak once again. He can move in a powerful way, even today, even today. Not like, oh, this might happen next week. It might happen when we get back in the room. Even today, God can whisper into your heart. You know, when these, um, these three stories come to mind as I was driving through East Dulwich, and this song's almost being dropped into my lap of like, wow, there's these different stories. And God, could you do that now? I don't want to just read about those stories. Could you do that now? I was reminded of a passage in Habakkuk. Because it, 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 it caused me to ask the question, do I really want to see a move of God? Do I really want to see God move in my heart? In the heart of you and the people in this room and the people online, you in your home, in this church, when we're gathered, when we're scattered, do I really want to see a move of God? And, and this passage in Habakkuk is familiar to me. It's one of those, I think I first learned it as, as a child because there was a song that was wrote about these words. Um, I think it was, Lord, we have heard of your fame. That was the song. I think Chris Bowalter wrote, Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your glorious deeds, oh God. And I'm like, wow, I like that song. And then I found these words. These are in Habakkuk, chapter 3. Verses 1 to 2. And I love the way the message puts it. You can read it in your Bible if you want, but I think the message has got a great way of putting it here. So Habakkuk 3, 1 to 2, the message says this, God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks, down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, remember mercy. You know, when I was reminded of these stories, and I've got this, this, this word now here, meet us now here, I'm reminded of these words, this cry of Habakkuk's, which I pray is your cry. Maybe in this sermon, maybe when we were singing earlier, set a fire. Maybe when you hear a testimony of someone else, and you're like, why can't I hear... Why can't I experience that? Or you read a story of something that happened in the past. And like, why do we not see that now? Or you read it in the Bible and you're like, God, I've heard of these great things that our ancestors say about you and I'm flawed. This is like, really? Tongues of fire appearing on people? Power going out? Chains being broken? Children having words from God? These are amazing things. Do among us now what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. The, um, the, the song that we're going to sing together and you're going to learn and the band are going to play has this chorus in it. And it's all about, actually, this thing about stopping thinking big and embracing small. It's all about trying to kill our obsession with I need more numbers and more people to then feel God's presence. It says this in the chorus that we're going to sing, Lord, do that now, here in this room. I don't mean, like, I mean... We mean it here in this room, but wherever you are, wherever you're watching it, wherever you are now, in your bed, in your living room, in your car, at the kitchen sink, wherever you are now, Lord, do that now, here in this room, what you've done before, 
I know you can do. You don't need a crowd or noise we can make. It's all about you and seeking your face. Meet us now here. Meet us now here. Come meet us now here, O oh God. Meet us now here. And I sometimes, I mean, this, I don't know if for those who remember it, we've got that song, Oh, the Precious Blood of Jesus. That was a sermon that was a song. Sometimes I think God gives words, and you know, you preach a sermon once, you might be diligent enough to listen to this a second time because you missed some things in the notes, but you're not going to listen to this sermon every week. Right? It's going to come and it's going to go. But there's something about a song that sticks and we repeat it and it becomes part of our thinking. It becomes part of the words that we confess. It becomes part of who we are and our character. And I, I hope and pray that this becomes a song that we don't just sing today, but becomes part of our cry that says, Lord, you don't need a crowd. You don't need a crowd. You don't need us to make lots of noise for your presence to appear. It's actually just about you, Jesus. So I want to pray... Then we're going to have a brief break while we just move a few things around in here and then the band are going to teach this song to you and let that, let that cry come from you because the words will be on the screen, you'll be able to sing along and you'll be able to confess those words as well, Lord, that we don't need a crowd. Lord, thank you for your words. Lord, thank you for these stories. Lord, they're encouraging as much as they're in the distant past. Lord, they're stories of your faithfulness and Lord, you have promised to be the same yesterday, today and forever. Lord, you're unchanging. And Lord, so I truly do believe, Lord, that you want to move in hearts, in homes, in churches, in communities, in our land, in our world. Lord, you want to move in ways that you've done before, but we don't see so often. And so the cry of my heart, and I believe in faith, the cry of many people in our churches, Lord, would you do that now here? Would you come meet us now? Lord, would you move in this place, even in this very hour, Lord, right now as we go to sing this song, Lord, wherever people find themselves, Lord, may they know your presence. May people who have never heard your whisper hear you speak, Lord, those who have never experienced the power of God know that you are with them in this hour, Lord, we pray. Amen.